condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life has redeemed us from death into life. Now we walk in his freedom. We are the children of God. Welcome to Carpenter's Way. If you guys will turn your attention over here, we have a baptism this morning. Well, good morning. It's so good to worship with you this morning. Jeff and I were privileged to be able to leave for a family vacation to Colorado. Unfortunately, we could not bring back any cool air, 
but you know we are glad to be back worshiping with you in the heat and humidity anyway so we um, are privileged to also be able to share with you something very special in the life of the Pesic family um, this is sweet Maddie she just finished third grade and Dieball will enter be entering into fourth grade and she has accepted Christ as her Savior and desires to be baptized today so that's really awesome so Maddie is the oldest child of Brad and Amber and little brother Levi and lots of family here on the first and second row so so glad that you're with us today. Uh, Maddie wants to share a little something about how she came to, to ask Christ into her life, how she realized that was important. So Maddie, I'm going to go ahead and let you share. She's got something she's going to read for us. I began thinking about accepting Christ into my life before I went to camp. My parents and I had started talking about it several times. The first night of church camp at Piney Woods, the pastor said, if you, hadn't, if you haven't accepted Christ into your life yet, and you want to, tap on your sponsor's shoulder and you can go talk to them outside. I began thinking about it and I felt nervous and decided not to do it. But then I began thinking about it more and more and decided I wanted to do it the next day. So the next day at worship, during that time, I tapped on my sponsor's shoulder and she took me outside and then we talked. Our pastor then came out and talked to me, and then they led me through the prayer and told me I to make sure I was talking to God and not him. So I prayed and asked Jesus into my heart. Um, just something that I want to share real quick as, as Maddie's dad is, um, you know, as, as parents when we're trying to lead our children to Christ, uh, I think... Her, her mom and I both at, at some times became discouraged because whether we admit it or not, we will set a um, timeline in our heads, you know, and we, and we wonder what is that age of accountability? And when, she, when our children start to go past that age, sometimes we think, are we not talking about it enough? Are we not saying the right things? Um, and then we sometimes see their, their friends and their peers start to come to know Christ. And, and it, it, it can be difficult for us again as as we will get in our humanness and think uh what are we doing wrong and then um god just like he has so many times humbled us and said reminded us that th i'm the one that saves he's you're not the one that saves he says you you plant the seeds you lead her and then she's going to make that decision and so um i'm just i want to share that just because i'm so um happy because her mother and I know that she fully understands what this decision is and that, that she believes that Jesus died and rose from the dead and that her sins are forgiven of that because of that and that she has fully accepted that gift. And so we're just so excited that she's made this decision. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. So Maddie, it is my honor as your dad and your Christian brother to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Maddie's grandfather is going to be praying. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Almighty God, it's such a privilege to come to your throne to the beloved of your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you so much for this wonderful young lady that has come today to share her testimony through her baptism, what you've done in her life through your salvation. 
Lord Jesus, we pray for any person that, who, whether they're here or watching or listening uh, to this service, Father, that they will surrender their heart and life to you if they don't know you already as their Savior and Lord. We thank you that her name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and Father, she'll know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you'll always be with her through your Holy Spirit. You'll continue to take care of her. You have a place for her in heaven with you for all eternity. And Father God, one day she'll be able to be besides all the brothers and sisters and saints, Father, that have gone on before us, Father, to worship you and praise you at your throne. Lord God, thank you so much for Brother Mark and all the ministers here, Father, and the elders and all the wonderful people, Father, that have been praying for them. Father, we thank you so much for the way that so many generations have been praying for Maddie, Father, from Bubby and Pappy through uh, Grandma and Grandpa and G-Daddy and, and Nana, Father, and, and her parents, Father. Thank you for these wonderful parents that have showed her your wonderful love and mercy and grace in so many different ways, Father. And now they have a wonderful privilege of guiding her through the path that you have for her, Lord. And I know you have exciting plans for her life, and I know you'll continue to assure her of your wonderful tender care and your wonderful compassion. And we give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. That's so cool. So cool. It's just a great reminder for, for us, you know, who have been in this for a while. It's still happening, right? God's still saving people. It's amazing. Um, Teresa and Mia are going to come up this morning. If you guys will welcome my beautiful wife and amazing little girl. So last week we did this song, and uh, it's from Grow Camp. And so we wrote this song, and uh, there were some people doing some motions, and then I had a lot of people afterwards ask, like, well, I don't know what the motions are, so... Nobody was teaching me, and I didn't know what to do. So we have the stars of the show here. They are going to show you the motions. They're going <laughs> to show you the motions for the songs. So, uh, yeah, you guys want to follow along. Here we go. I want to grow, grow, grow into all that you have for me And show, show, show how your love has set me free And go, go, go tell the world so they can see You're amazing Never gonna let me go. Shout it out, you are my God. Shout it out, my Savior has set me free. Not to ask but for your glory. I wanna grow, I wanna grow, grow, grow into all that you have for me. Show, show, show how your love has set me free. Go, go, go tell the world so they can. You're amazing oh, Shout it out Shout it out I want the world to see Shout it out You have changed me Shout it out My lips will forever sing Not to us but for your glory Shout your name 
It's fun just looking out and seeing all your adults do motions. I wish y'all could see my view. It's so, so funny seeing all you just you're growing. It's so cool. All right, we're going to, I guess, slow this down a little bit, right? I'm strong, sometimes I'm weak, sometimes I fall in my wandering, but through it all, there's just one thing more precious than the air I breathe. Grace. Amazing grace, unfailing grace that saves my soul. And grace, unending grace, unrelenting grace that won't let go. You took our sin, you took our stain. You took our guilt, now there is no shame. This our reward, eternal crown, the endless song. How sweet the sound of grace, amazing grace, unfailing grace that saves my soul and grace, unending grace, unrelenting grace that won't let go. Amazing grace, unfailing grace. 
saves my soul and grace unending grace unrelenting grace that won't let it go and grace amazing grace unfailing grace that saves my soul read the scripture together. Did you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Amen. You know, one thing I fear as uh, Christians, and we, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but just uh, when you've been in this for a while, uh, I think we kind of lose that a sense of awe and wonder of who God is, uh, what He does. Uh, you know, and it's like if you really stop and think, and I don't know how long, how often we let ourselves do this, but just kind of just stop and just kind of think about this God that we we just kind of flippantly talk about and sing to. Um, you know, the fact that He would just say something and just like, bam, it happens. Like, that's just, that's crazy, right? I mean, that, you can't even really fathom that kind of power like that kind of authority to just like speak and stuff happens like that's just that's nuts right and that's the God that we serve that's the God that we sing to and I fear that a lot of times as Christians we come into meetings like this and we just kind of go through the motions like oh yeah it's God he saves me he's you know he adopted me he you know fill in the blank we kind of lose that sense of awe and wonder Um, so my prayer this morning for us as we go through these last two songs is as we sing through this, that we are overwhelmed, that we are amazed, and that we really can't do anything but sing. When you start thinking about who he is and what he's done, the fact that he crushed his son for your sins and then brought you into his family, it's amazing. It's a little mind-blowing. It's a little mind-blowing if you just let yourself go to that place. So again, my prayer for us is that we are overwhelmed. We're just simply amazed. And this, the natural response is that we just, we can't help but sing.
Sometimes I just want to knock them all down and start preaching. That was so good. Man, the, you, you guys, since Easter, you've been singing out so well. It is so moving. And the music, the words, I hope you're paying attention to the words. And if you don't know this God that we're singing about, what do you believe in? I mean, what is it that's satisfying your soul? Only, only Maddie's God is satisfying. And uh, I just, man, I just want to say... Maddie, uh, I, she probably took off to GPS. That's okay. You tell her later. I'm proud of her. Man, if her dad didn't decide to preach, she was preaching. Look, I, I just, man, I just want to say this. I know, and, and Chad was kind of alluding to this. We do, we do this thing. Hey, let's go to church. Or where do you go to church? Or, we are the church. We all know that doctrinally. But I just, I just want to tell you, man, the children are not the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today. And God is working in our children's ministry. We've got kids accepting Christ like Maddie and her daddy baptizing her and, and her grandfather who's a pastor. I mean, what an honor. You took a day off and you're here with us today and I want to honor you. Thank you for your faithful service to the Lord. I know some of you may know him. He served in Dieball and I don't remember where you said you are right now, but thank you for being here today. And I, I, don't, I don't want to discredit. We got great grandpa here and we are so honored that you would worship with us this morning. Your family has made our family better. And uh, we're honored that you're here. Thank you. We are the family of God if you know him, and we are honored to worship with you this morning. What we do here is we point people to Jesus, right? And then we talk about Carpenter's Way a lot later. And uh, we're just, we, we, it means a lot you're here. I can't, I can't tell you enough. And that was, that was pretty cool. 
I mean, you know, I, I make that joke sometimes that we could just stop and you're not lucky enough for that because I got something I want to share with you this morning. But man, if you don't know Maddie's Jesus, today's the day of salvation. It says it's not about joining a church. It's, it's not about joining an, a religious organization. It is about being adopted into the family of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And uh, you, you are invited. We, that last song that Heather let us in, <laughs> I just... Look, I know it's not about the instruments and the voices, but man, Heather's got pipes. I, it's hard for me, and I, I, it's, it's kind of a bummer because I love that last song we sang, and we're singing it, and, and I just like to listen to Heather sing that, you know, God, you are worthy. She's just saying, holy, holy, holy. Man, we get to do that forever, and we have no idea just how awesome he is. So anyway, I, I got to get to this. A couple things I want to remind you. We all need prayer, and there's a lot going on in people's lives. There's three ways to be prayed for, to be involved in prayer ministry. One is by letting Dolores know that you're interested in, uh, in being on our pr urgent prayer team. And that means 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you might get a text saying, look, uh, something happened to Mark, we need you to pray for him, or something else is going on. That's one way. Number two, if you don't want to be involved in that and you like to pray, but you don't want to stand out or be on a team, when you leave, between these two doors is a wall, and it's our prayer wall, and you are welcome and invited, whether you're saved or not, to write a prayer request you may have, something you're concerned about, and you tape it to that wall, and somebody, and, and what we ask is if you're a child of God and you tape something to that wall, you take one. So you can pray for them. We're praying for each other here. And even if you don't have a prayer request, if you'll walk by, if you see those on there, take one, put it on your steering wheel, put it um, you know, on your mirror in the morning, and pray for those people. They're all, they're all anonymous unless they choose to write their names. And on Fridays, remember, you get, uh, you get uh, our bulletin and our prayer thing, and, and so be, be praying about that. But we want to serve you. We want to pray for you. Uh, the only other thing I want to mention this morning is if you're new to Carpenter's Way, lots of new visitors, lots of people uh been coming and if you'd like to know more about carpenter's way or like to get information as you leave there's a welcome table out there it says welcome to carpenter's way my dad and our and my mama karen they go to that table right after and if you'd like to tell him what a phenomenal preacher his son is uh uh right why are you laughing that was why do you always laugh at that when I say what if? But anyway, if, if you'd like, they got little cards you fill out and it had, put your phone number on there. We do texting, email, but that's how you get information. You know, we don't do bulletins and stuff like that anymore. So just, we, we send those out. So be involved. Let us know who you are. We want to serve you. We want to pray for you. And it ain't about joining Carpenter's Way. We, we'd like that, but it's about Jesus Christ and we want you to know him. So uh, that's all uh, of that. I, I want to pray because, man, I believe God wants to say something to us this morning, and, and I'm pretty excited, which means I'll probably overheat, so I need to ask him to calm me down. Lord Jesus, I ask you this morning to, uh, to speak through your word. And Father, I, as, we, as we start to close the door on Acts and our study, we have watched your uh, first church, the first Holy Spirit-inhabited church, go through the difficulties of of, uh, of organizing under your authority, of the Holy Spirit coming in, of the gospel being presented. And Lord, we have found that we're really, we're really no different than them. Only technology has changed, but people have not. And so as we continue to watch Paul in his ministry, um, Lord, teach us what you want us to grasp from this. And I thank you for Luke and, and the writing that he made of this, of this wonderful historical book. And I pray that we would learn a lot today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So last week we were in Acts chapter 20 and we saw Paul become keenly aware that his time of freely moving around and ministering was coming to an end. 
Uh, he is on two different occasions already, and you'll see that tomorrow in today's text. We're actually going to spend all of our t- or most of our time in chapter 21. But he's been warned that he's about to be uh, he's about to be arrested. He's about to be killed at some point in the near future, and he's fully aware of that. But instead of running and hiding, what he does is he begins to go through the region of Asia, and he begins to go to the churches and the people that he's ministered to, and he begins to say goodbye and encourage them. And last week we looked at a story where he had so much to say to a particular church that he spoke all night, and they were going to have communion. Somebody fell asleep, fell out the window, and died, and and the Lord allowed him to raise him from the dead. A weird story. But at the end of that chapter, chapter 20, we got to listen in as Paul said goodbye to what I would argue was his favorite church ministry. He was there for over three years, spent a lot of time with them in the city of Ephesus, and he had discipled them and developed them, and so he calls together the leaders of the church of Ephesus, and he wants to say goodbye to them. And by way of reminder and context, I want to begin there in Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 18 through the end of chapter, and I'm just going to read that. When they had arrived, the, the, Ephes, uh, the Ephesian elders... When they had arrived, he declared, You know from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly, yes, and with tears. I have endured the trials that come from me with the plots of the Jews, yet I never shrank from telling you the truth, either publicly or in your homes. I have had one message for Jews and Gentiles alike. What's that message? The necessity of turning from sin and turning to God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now I'm going to Jerusalem, drawn there irresistibly by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit has told me in the city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. That is the work of telling others the good news about the wonder, uh, God's wonderful kindness and love. If you've never experienced the kindness and love of God, if you've never heard about the kindness and love of God, not the church, Not morality, but the kindness and mercy of God. You have missed the point of the gospel. No matter who you are or what you've done, salvation, forgiveness, a right relationship with God is available to you, whether you're in this room or watching online, is available to you through Jesus Christ. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you have never been forgiven of your sin, today is the day of salvation. So we read on. Paul continues, And now I know that none of you whom I have preached the kingdom of God will ever see me again. Let me say plainly that I have been faithful. No one's damnation can be blamed on me, for I didn't shrink from declaring that God wants what God wants for you. And now beware. Be sure that you feed and shepherds God's flock, God's flock, His church purchased with His blood, over whom the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. I know full well that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some of you will distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, Mike, and, and, care over, and, and care over you night and day, and my many tears for you. And now I entrust you to God in the word of His grace. His message that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those He has set apart for Himself. I have never coveted anyone's money or fine clothing. You know that these hands of mine have worked to pay my own way. And I have even supplied the needs of those who are with me. And I have been constant example of how you can help the poor by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them. And they wept 
They wept aloud as they embraced him in farewell. Sad, most of all, because he had said that they would never see him again. Then they accompanied him down to the ship. Man, for those of us who think Paul was kind of a jerk guy, one of those harsh pastors, the reaction of the people doesn't say that. The, the reaction is they loved him. They loved being with him. They loved what he taught them. So we continue in Acts chapter 21, verse 1. After saying farewell to the Ephesian elders, we stra sailed straight to the island of Kos. The next day we reached Rhodes, and then we went to Patara. There we boarded a ship sailing for Phoenicia. We sighted the island of Cyprus, passed it on our left. I, I just like that line, just pause, because Luke is with him now. He's with Paul. Why again, and I've been answering this the last few weeks, I want to remind you, why does Paul talk, or, or Luke talk more about Paul than Barnabas? Remember, they split up, they had a fight, there was a split, and they both go on a very effective missionary journey. Why does Paul record, or, or Luke record Paul's and not Barnabas's? Because he went with Paul. For most of the journey, he's with him. And here's an example. And he's, he's doing such detailed notes that he actually says what side of the ship the land was on. And I, I just thought that was, that was pretty interesting. We passed Cyprus on our left, and then we landed at the harbor of Tyre in Syria, where the ship was to unload its cargo. We went ashore. And you get the sense here that when, when he got ashore, that's when he found that there were local believers there. So they decided to stay a week. That doesn't seem to be their intention when they're on the ship. They get off to take a rest from the ship while the cargo is unloaded and another cargo is loaded up. But, but they feel led to stay another week. So they do. And I, I, why do I point that out? Because when you're following God, it's not a straight line. It's not a straight line. I hope you're seeing that in Acts. It's not a straight line. It's not a safe line. It's not a straight line. There's lots of lefts and rights, and you do what you know best in following the Lord as you submit your life to Him. But there are no guarantees what's going to happen. The more Paul tried to plan, what is it Proverbs says? We set our path, but God sets our steps. And you, and you absolutely see that here. Uh, and, and so they find local believers. They stay with them a week. They, these believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go to Jerusalem. This is the second time at least this has happened. When we returned to the ship at the end of the week, the entire congregation, including women and children, left the city and they came down to the shore with us. And there we knelt and prayed and said our farewells. Then we went aboard and they returned home. The next stop after leaving Tyre was Potomus. And where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed for one day. The next day, we went on to Caesarea and stayed at the home of Philip the Evangelist, one of seven men who had been chosen to distribute food. Wow, Luke is reminding us way back at the beginning of Acts where they were caring for the needy in the church. This is one of the pre-church uh, the, 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 the pre uh, uh, deacons who was handing out food and remember the problems that were there. And he wants you to remember who that is. So in verse 8, they went to Caesarea. They stayed at the home of Philip the Evangelist. So he's gone from being a deacon in the church to, uh, to actually being an evangelist. He had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy as well. Several days later, a man named Agabus, who had also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. He came over, he took Paul's belt, and he bound his own feet and his hands with it. Then he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. This is the third time we have a recorded prophecy. I believe it must have been more because it seems like maybe his daughters were prophesying. Don't go. You're about to get in real trouble. 
When we heard this, we, along with the local believers, all begged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. So, a couple thoughts. Number one, no matter how you read Paul's epistles, no matter how you read Paul's letters, no matter how you read his personality, he was deeply loved. Nobody wants to see him die. Nobody wants to see him in change. They leaned on him. Second of all, when we think someone's an arrogant jerk and we don't know them, we've got to be careful not to judge them. That's just a side note. Another one. Boy, are these people like the modern church. How so? Because it had just been prophesied that Paul has to go to Jerusalem and be persecuted. That's God's will for him. He's told him. Others are saying it. And look what even Luke, the others traveling with him and the local church says. They try to talk him out of it. So I'd like to say, for those of you who are prophecy hawks, and your goal is to figure out what the mark of the beast is so you don't take it, you're not alone. Not only that, for those of you who are worried about the wrong president being in place, for those of you who are concerned that if we don't vote the right president, right Congress in, it's going to usher in the end times, I've got news for you. You can't stop that. So relax. And even though they did not want Paul to die or be enchained, they asked him not to go. Don't go. Nobody seems to be concerned that the Holy Spirit does in fact want Paul to go to Jerusalem for reasons. We do think, as we've always thought, we can alter God's plan by hard work, begging, pleading, figuring it out and adjusting it. You can't. God is sovereign. He's in control. And I was thinking this week, Mark, what would you do if someone told you that if you stay in Lovekin, you're going to face death, if not persecution. I can tell you what Paul does. Look at the next verse, verse 13. He said to them, Why all this weeping? You're breaking my heart. Boy, so pause, take a breath. We don't see Paul as an emotional guy. But I'd like to, I'd like to take this out of the Bible for a second and, and just point out that Paul is saying, You guys got to stop this. Luke, knock it off. I know what my task is. And you're trying to talk me out of it. And it's working. Uh, in case you have forgotten our previous study, I want to remind you that Jesus was also tempted by the pleadings of the disciples who didn't want him to fulfill his Father's work. You remember that Peter, the more he talked about his de coming death, arrest, death, and crucifixion, the more Peter said, hey, you're discouraging the troops. And remember what Jesus said to him? You sound like Lucifer. Am I not going to do the will of my Father? You see, the difficulty is that the flesh, and God made us this way, doesn't want to die. We don't want to hurt. We don't want to be uncomfortable. But that is our task. It was Paul's task. And it would appear that all the humans around him were going, don't go, don't go, don't go. And Paul's response to them is, you're breaking my heart. Stop, please. I'm ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. And when it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, okay, I, I really don't want you just to read this like a verse. I want you to think about what's going on. They don't stop. I'm ready to die. I'm not afraid. Paul, quit being a, a brave jerk. What good can you be for the church in death or in your arrest? Well, that's not for us to answer. That's not our question. We're not allowed to do that. 
If you trust the Lord, you trust the Lord. And so when they couldn't persuade him, we gave up. And then we said, the Lord's will will be done. Yeah, thank you for laughing. There were like two of you who just giggled. That's what I did this week after I read it six times. I thought to myself, oh, okay, well, if you're not going to do our will, okay. Isn't, isn't that what it says? I mean, it's exactly what it says. Please don't go, please don't go. We got all these prophecies that you're going to die. You're going to be arrested. You're going to be in trouble. Actually, it doesn't say they're going to die, but you're going to be arrested. You're going to be bound. You're going to be beaten. It's going to get bad. Please don't go, please don't go, please don't go. Look, I'm ready to die. I'm going to do whatever is needed for the sake of God. I'm going to obey him. Once we realized that we couldn't convince him otherwise, we said, okay, the Lord's will be done. Think about that. Let it sink in. They're no different than us, just different technology. Isn't it comforting to know that even back then they could be selfish? So knock it off. Be like Paul. Keep going. The truth is, why was Paul so set in going to Jerusalem where he would probably be arrested? Why was he set on that? Because way back when he first got saved in Acts chapter 9, Ananias, who didn't want to talk to him, I, recall, I want to remind you what he said to him at the very beginning of his salvation, at the very beginning of his ministry. Acts 9, Saul, this is what God said, Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles. We've been reading about that for months now. And the kings, as well as the people of Israel. Next verse. I know it's quiet. I know you're waiting for me to say something, but I just want that verse to sink in. For those of you who don't think God allows his servants to endure difficulty, pain, you don't know the God of the Bible. Seriously. There's a whole movement in Christendom right now that says God doesn't let people hurt. He, it's always Satan. Obviously not. That's a lie. I will show him how much he must suffer for, for my name's sake. And while Paul doesn't want to suffer, from the very moment he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, he is informed that this will be his task. This will be the cross he carries. God had planted the steps of his life of the, and the ministry of, of Saul of Tarsus and although everyone he seems to be close with is begging him not to go to Jerusalem, they are all wrong with God's plan for his life. And in Acts 20, verse 13 and 14, Paul's response is, Why are all you weeping? Why all this weeping? I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but also to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. What about us? We, like Paul, are the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus. And it tells us in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, that we have been redeemed and retooled to accomplish things that he planned beforehand for us to accomplish. And for some of us, it's going to be difficulty and suffering. Actually, for all of us. At some point, all of us are going to go through difficult times. Jesus talked about that. The question is, will we remain faithful? Are we willing to die and to live for his sake? Philippians 1.29. Okay, before I talk about this, 
I want to point out, I've tried to reduce the image of Paul in our mind as we've read through Acts. He's a big dude, but he's not as big as we've made him. Because you and I have been called to the exact same thing Paul has. We have been called to be messengers of reconciliation, ministers of the gospel. So while we're looking at Paul and going, man, that's tough on Paul, I want to remind you of what Paul here says to us. You have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. In Luke 9.23, Jesus said these words, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Turn. The New Living Translation, the older version says, Turn from your selfish ways, pick up your cross daily, and follow him. Part of the calling of Christendom, part of the, this is the thing that we will teach Maddie as she grows up at Carpenter's Way for as long as the Lord allows us to. And this is a thing that many of us either have been lied to about or have not let register. The calling of, the coming to Jesus is free and easy, but being a disciple of Jesus will cost us everything. Jesus was clear on that. If you want to be my follower, you're going to have to pick up your cross. That isn't, that isn't just an image. You, you understand what he's saying. I'm picking up my cross and I'm going to Calgary. Are, 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 are you? You need to join me to death to self. You need to not, not fight for your rights. You need to fight for the kingdom. Our calling is the same as Paul's. And it seems like we are more on the side of all of his friends where we're trying in all of our might not, not to experience difficulty in this life. When in fact, that is our task. This life, we live for Jesus. But the next life, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you there. We invest in the lives of others in the ministry of the kingdom here. We give up everything. All that Paul writes about is about sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind you will accept. And he's calling us to selfless living. And boy, has Satan seduced us into thinking that we have the right to demand our rights. We gave up our rights. We die to our rights for the sake of the kingdom. And you're going to see that in this text in just a moment, what that looks like for Paul. Paul's attitudes towards this. And finally, all those that he has discipled is the, Lord, the will of the Lord be done. So back to Acts 21, verse 15. After we packed our things and left for Jerusalem, all right, it's on. Some believers from Caesarea accompanied us, and they took us to the home of Mason, a man originally from Cyprus and one of the early believers. When we arrived, the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem welcomed us warmly. The next day, Paul went with us to meet James. If you recall, this is Jesus' brothers, who was not a follower of Jesus until the resurrection. But James is the senior pastor of Jerusalem Church. He gets saved as a result of the resurrection. So does Jude the author of the New Testament letter, Jude. Hey, Jude. Also, the Beatles wrote a song about him. But, but that, that, uh, these were the brothers of Jesus who mocked Jesus during his ministry. Hey, if you want a big following, why don't you go into the Passover and do all those miracles? Ha, ha, ha. He was taunting him. Well, they all become followers and become leaders of the Jerusalem church. and that's what, that's, so, so they meet with him, and all the elders of the Jerusalem church were present. After greeting them, Paul gave a detailed account of the things God had accomplished among the Gentiles through his ministry. After hearing this, they praised God. And then they said, you know, dear brother, how many thousands of Jews have also believed? 
and they also follow the laws of Moses very seriously. So let me, let me read between the lines here. This is Mark Wilkie. What I'm about to tell you is purely my opinion. But when they say this to Paul, I think there's some internal contact, conflict with the Jerusalem church. As we've been studying this, one thing you've seen is racism runs rampant in the heart of the Jewish church. They don't mind Gentiles being saved as long as they become Jewish, right? As long as you become, as long as you keep the Jewish law. We've seen that fight throughout. And then our next study is going to be of Galatians, where you have what's called Judaizers, people who are followers of Jesus, but trying to maintain Jewish traditions, where Paul reacts to their theology. But what's happening here is you get a sense that the Jerusalem church loves Paul, they love his ministry, and, he, and what does he do? He goes crazy telling them what God is doing among Gentile believers. Oh, and I led these people to Christ in Ephesians, Ephesus, and all these things. And he tells them about it, and their attitude in this is after hearing this, they praise God, and then they said, you know, dear brother, how many thousand Jews have also believed? Now, Mark Wilkie reads this, don't forget our people too. I know you're doing good out there, and we're glad. We're glad people are being saved. But don't forget our folks. I would argue that sometimes the church feels that. Yeah, we need to do missions across the globe, but don't, don't forget the American church. I mean, we need air conditioning, right? There, there's a selfishness here. And how do I say that? Because it goes on. The Jewish believers here in Jerusalem, they're still talking to Paul. The Jewish believers here in Jerusalem have been told that you're teaching all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn their backs on the laws of Moses. They've heard that you teach them not to circumcise their children or follow Jewish customs. What should we do? Hmm. They will certainly hear that you've come. Here's what we want you to do. They don't give them a chance to respond. At least Luke doesn't record it. What they're doing is they're thinking openly. Let's uh, spitball some ideas. We have four men who have completed their vow. Go with them to the temple and join them in their purification ceremony, paying for them to have their heads ritually shaved. Then everyone will know that, you, that the rumors are false and that you yourself observe the Jewish laws. As for the Gentile believers, they should do what we already told them in the letter. They should abstain from eating food offered to idols and consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality. In other words, we're cool with the Gentiles being saved, but don't you forget your Jewish roots. In fact, there's a lot of distraction in the Jerusalem church over who you are and what you teach now. So if you'd come back and do some of our Jewish things, like speak against alcohol and all that stuff, actually, if you'd actually shave your own head and take a vow and become Jewish, then everybody will know and everything will be fine. Well, before we go on with what Paul does here, I want to remind you of exactly Paul's teaching on the law. And we, I show you all the time this because it's very, very important from Romans chapter 3. Paul wrote this. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right in his sight by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Now, Paul isn't saying the law is useless, shouldn't have been written. What a waste. Moses is dumb. What Paul has said is, here's its purpose. Its purpose was to show throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Jewish nation, its purpose was to show you that you can't save yourself. In that way, it's been very effective. But they want him to keep the law. So he goes on. 
It simply shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, which was actually promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's standard, what he requires to save yourself. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ who freed us from the penalty of our sins. God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. The sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and didn't punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. So there's a reoccurring theme in this, in this long writing. In a moment, I'm going to get back to the law, because he finishes with a big point. But what he's saying is, the law's purpose is to show you how sinful you are and show you your need for a redeemer, a savior. Jesus Christ is that savior, and because of that, you can turn to him. You can't be saved or right with God by the law because you're not good enough. You fall short of his standard. So God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. Bear with me, we're almost done. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There is only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith. Not religion, not Judaism, not, uh, not obedience to the law. There is only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they're Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, here's the answer to the question. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does that mean we forget the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. So here's the problem. Let me summarize this. The Hebrews that wanted to add Jesus to the law weren't believing in Jesus to save them. That's going to be Galatians, our study. It's something, I'm going to call it like the bottom line. But they are counting on Jesus with Judaism. Jesus with circumcision. Jesus and the Ten Commandments. Paul is saying, you missed the purpose of the Ten Commandments. The purpose of the Ten Commandments isn't to redeem you or to make you a better person or even to teach you how to live. It's to show you how you're not living. You see, the Ten Commandments, the Jewish law was a mirror. They were supposed to look in that and then the Sermon on the Mount. Remember the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus was talking to religious leaders and he said to them, you look at me and you say you've never committed adultery. Good for you. I'm proud of you. The problem is my father's standard requires that you never lust. If you've ever lusted, you've committed adultery, according to my father. To which everybody went, oh darn. Then I'm an adulterer? Yes, you are in God's kingdom. Well, that's not fair. It is if you realize he's the judge. You say, I've never mur murdered another of the Ten Commandments? No, I've never murdered. Good for you. But I tell you that my father says if you've ever hated somebody, it's the same in his standards as murder. Oh no, now I'm an adulterer and a murderer? Well, you don't even need to go to the rest of the eight. Because the truth is, you've just been fallen short of the kingdom. You see, the purpose of the law is to show you you can't save yourself, no matter how Catholic or Baptist or Lutheran or Mormon or moral or Jewish you are. You can't save yourself. You need 
try, you need God to save you. You need the judge to say, look, I'm going to forget your sin. And so what he did is he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sin. And so that the penalty of our sin could be paid so that he could adopt us into his family, which was his purpose all along. So the truth is, Paul never spoke against the law. He actually put the law in its right context. I, I, I want to say something about what we've done with the Ten Commandments as evangelicals in this culture and as Catholics as well. We've turned it into the goal. That's exactly what the Jews were doing. The Ten Commandments is not the goal. The Ten Commandments shows us the problem. Jesus is the goal. This is not about heaven and hell. This is about following him off the cliff. Knowing that when we hit the bottom of the cliff, we get eternal life. It's living the realities of heaven more than the realities of earth. And we are holding on so tight that we get mad when the government is sinful. We get mad when the world acts like, acts like the flesh is the answer to their problems. What are we doing? Jesus is the answer to the problems. So Paul goes back to Jerusalem, and the Jerusalem church is like, we are so happy with what God is doing in the Gentile communities. But you know, lots of people are being saved here too. Lots of people. And you know, a lot of those people are getting distracted, Paul, because they are hearing that you speak against the Ten Commandments. I mean, you're saying things like, you don't have to keep the Ten Commandments, which, by the way, Paul did say, because the Ten Commandments aren't a way for salvation. Not only did he say you don't have to keep it, he's saying you won't keep it. What he said was, you need to be forgiven through grace and mercy of God through His Son, Jesus. That was his message. They didn't like that. You're moving too far away from Judaism. So here's what we need you to do. What can you do? What can you do? How can we solve this? You see why I think it's kind of now it's just me. I'm acting it out just like the chosen. But they're sitting around going, what can we do? What? <gasps> we've got an idea. Hey, we've got these four guys that are finishing up their Jewish promises to the Lord. And uh, why don't you go join them? You pay for their heads to be shaved. The end of the seventh day period, David. You don't need to know all that. You just need to know that there's a Jewish thing gonna about to happen. And they're like, look, if you participate in that, They'll then know, everybody will know, that you, Paul, are still Jewish. Okay, here we go. Back to our story. Acts 21. So Paul went to the temple the next day with the other men. So what does he do? He humbles himself. Okay. He humbles himself. Because Paul is not an anti-Jew. He's not anti-Hebrew. He's not anti-Catholic. He's not anti-Baptist. He's not anti-anything. He's pro-Jesus. And Paul said that when I'm with the Jews, I keep the law. And when I'm with the Gentiles, there is no law. I am all things to all people, so I might win some. So he humbles himself. And he goes to the temple the next day with the other men. They had already started the purification ritual, so he publicly announced the date when their vows would end and sacrifices would be offered for each of them. Verse 27. The seven days were almost ended, when some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple and roused a mob against him, they grabbed Paul, yelling, Men of Israel, help us! This is the man who preaches against our people everywhere and tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. He speaks against the temple and even defies the holy place by bringing in Gentiles. For earlier that day, they had seen him in the temple with Trophimus, a Gentile from Ephesus, and they assumed that Paul had taken him into the temple. Uh, in case you're not keeping score, placating sinners doesn't work. It doesn't work. In, in case you're trying to figure out how to present the gospel in a culture that doesn't believe in repentance, 
You can't friend people into heaven. They will still reject you. Because the core of the gospel is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. And at some point, you're never going to be hip enough, cool enough, your jeans won't be skinny enough, your boots won't be fancy enough, you won't be hipster enough to ruin the message of salvation through faith in Christ alone. And in case you're not clear, that's what the evangelical church is trying to do in our culture today. You see, the core of being saved is repentance. Whatever your sin is, whether it's being gay or whether it's being unfaithful to your wife or whether it's being a liar or whether it's being a cheater or whether it's being a glutton or whatever it is, your sin of choice, they all put you at odds with God. All of them. Self-righteousness puts you at odds with God. doesn't matter what your sin is. You can like some more than others, but God sees them all the same. They have different effects on your life, but they're all the same to God, and they separate you from Him. The only way to God is through Jesus. Why? Not because He likes Jesus more than you, but because Jesus Christ, what He did on the cross, is actually what you deserve for your sin. He puts your sin on Jesus. That's why He was naked and beaten and bloody, because He took your sin in His body on the cross. The goal wasn't to keep you out of hell. The goal was to make you His adopted child. And that was Paul's message. And to those that wanted it to be about all things Hebrew... It was offensive. And to those who want us to accept their sin, no matter what it is, and I add to that sin nationalism and self-righteousness or changing the message of the gospel to appease your flesh, the more we try to do that, the farther we get away from Jesus. And at some point, the message is going to have to get back to Jesus or we are not presenting the gospel. And when it does, exactly what happens to Paul is going to happen to you. So you might as well tell the truth from the beginning. I don't care who you love. I don't care, I don't care what you love. I don't really, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me what your sin is. If you take drugs, if you're homeless, if you beat your mother, the, none of those things affect God's offer to forgive you. You could be a pastor, right, pastor? And still need to be saved. Because we got guys in the pulpit that don't seem to know Jesus today. And brothers and sisters, we have a whole church in America that doesn't seem to know Jesus anymore. We're trying to hipster people into the kingdom. It doesn't work. didn't work for Paul. It's not going to work for us. If they don't want your God, they're not going to want your God. And I'm not saying we're jerks. We are warned to be gentle and loving. That's a characteristic of the body of Christ. But you can't out-love their sin. People must repent. The whole city was rocked by these accusations. And a great riot followed. Paul was grabbed and and dragged out of the temple, and immediately the gates were closed behind him as they were trying to kill him. Okay. <laughs> this, this is funny to me. Why? Because once again, we've got people who are mad, first at Jesus and now Paul, and then at Stephen as well, and we can go through. We've got people going, you don't honor the Ten Commandments, so we're going to murder you. Okay. Is that not the world we live in? And that's exactly what Satan does. He gets you to think, you know what the problem with you, with you, you Bible believers is? You're not loving. Look, we love you. We just want you to know God. That's not loving. Our, the God that I will bow to is going to accept my adultery or my infidelity or whatever the sin is. He will accept me as I am. I choose to believe. My truth is, and it's like, what? what? And so they hate us. And they will kill us. 
They always have. Not only have, has God not changed, and Christians not changed, neither is the world. And I'm sorry if you signed up for this thinking that it would make your life better. It's probably going to make your life worse here, but it will get better. There will be peace and hope and joy. But these people hated Paul because they hated the message. As they were trying to kill him, breaking, what is it, number four of the commandments, murder, word reached the commander of the Roman regiment. Now, remind you, this is the humorous part, and I want you to see the humor in this. So the guard, the, the head of the Roman regiment, that all Jerusalem was an uproar, or here, here's, here, here's that. So this is a pagan dog that the Jews hate. He ends up saving Paul's life. He immediately called out his soldiers and officers and ran down among the crowd. And when the mob saw the commander and the troops coming, they stopped beating Paul. Just like they did with the gold that fell into the pot and came out of calf. I don't know what happened to him. When the mob saw the commander and the troops, they stopped beating him. Then the commander arrested him and ordered him bound with two chains. Where did that come from? Uh, remember the little belt thing at the beginning of our story? The prophecy takes Paul's belt, which wasn't nice. His pants fell right down. He takes his belt, puts him around his ankles, and says, the one who owns this belt will be chained like this. <gasps> it's all happening. Just like God prophesied. You know why? Because God's will is always done. Everybody's begging Paul not to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to Jerusalem. Why God told me to go to Jerusalem? You're going to get arrested there, I know. He's been telling me for 40 years I'm going to be arrested. So he goes there and exactly what was prophesied happens. Isn't that amazing, you guys? God's will is always done, even through chaotic, weird to us means. So the Roman commander asked the crowd who he was and what he had done. Some shouted one thing, some shouted another. Why? Because they don't know why they hate him. They just know they hate him. Since he couldn't find out the truth in all the uproar and confusion, he ordered that Paul be taken into a fortress. As Paul reached the stairs, the mob grew so violent that the, so the, the soldiers, these Roman dog soldiers, by the way, had to lift him on their shoulders to protect him. So there's Paul being body surfing. And the crowd followed behind shouting, Kill him! Kill him! Which, by the way, I remind you, I don't remember. Which of the Ten Commandments? Can somebody remind me for real? What's the ten com which commandment is don't murder? Nobody knows? One of the big ten. We'll just call it that. It's number six. Is that what you said, Heather? So it's number six. So forgetting number six, because we don't really care about number six, as long as we're murdering the right people. So big number six is being ignored, and they're now yelling, kill him, kill him, as the Roman guards. They don't, they're so out of their minds, they don't even care about the Roman guards. They're carrying him on their head. And as Paul was about to be taken inside, so they get to the wall of this fortress, he's about to be taken inside, and he says to the commander, may I have a word with you, which freaks the commander out because he's speaking in Greek. This is a Jewish guy. He doesn't know who this guy is. You'll see in a moment. But he speaks to him in Greek. How do I know that? Because the Jew commander goes, do you know Greek? He was surprised. Wait, aren't you that Egyptian dude who led a rebellion some time ago and took 4,000 members of the, of the assassins out to the desert? To which Paul went, no. <laughs> The Romans weren't the enemy. They were ignorant. They didn't care. They just wanted the peace. Because if this guy allows Jerusalem to get into an uproar, guess who's dying next by the head of Rome's army? It's going to be him. 
So he thinks this is a, a revolutionary. And he's like, how do you know Greek, you Egyptian guy? I, I, I'm not Egyptian. Paul replied, I'm actually a Jew and a citizen of Tarsus in Sicilia, which is an important city. <laughs> okay. Like, do, you, do you realize that what a, what a dumb ending that is to that statement? This is a Roman leader of a fort, and he's going, I don't know if you know this town, but they make great pizza. When Paul says that, that he is a citizen, well, you're going to find out later that that freaks him out. But look what he asked for. Please, let me talk to those people. What the heck is he thinking? They're screaming, kill him, kill him. Even the Roman guards can't keep control. And what is his request? In Greek, he says, let me talk to them. The commander agreed. So Paul stood on the stairs of the fortress and he motioned to the people to be quiet. Soon a deep silence enveloped the crowd and he addressed them in their own language, Aramaic. Anybody wonder if Paul was smart? He speaks Greek, Aramaic, Hebrew, and English because he wrote this. <laughs> Amazing guy. That was funnier than I thought it would be. I'm proud of myself for that. He did write the king. Okay, I'm going to stop. Commander agreed. Brothers and sisters, brothers and esteemed fathers. Brothers and esteemed fathers. If Mark has the courage to die for the Lord, I'm doing what Marcus Aurelius does in Braveheart. You know, are you not entertained? But Paul doesn't do that. I probably messed up the characters. My brother, by the way, who's here this morning is, what? Gladiator? Did I say it a different movie? So they're all the same characters to me, man. I just lost the whole crowd on a movie reference. Top Gun is still the best Christian movie out there, though. So he, I mean, I, I, you know, at the end, when he's about some things, I don't want to ruin it for you. He does this massive angry speech, but Paul doesn't. He actually addresses them as brothers and esteemed fathers. Who is this guy? He's a man filled with the Holy Spirit is who he is. He's not living and speaking and dying on his own. He's, he's working for the kingdom. You see, his goal wasn't to save his life. It was to seek first the kingdom of God. Big finish. Paul said, listen to me as I offer my defense. When they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence was even greater. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Sicilia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like, that all, uh, just like all of you today. And I persecuted. I mean, what, how, how gentle is he being with these people? I know that you're trying to kill me for the right reasons. I understand how zealous you are. You're in Jerusalem, the holy city. David built this, and you're in the temple. I know, I, I know you mean well. I was one of you. I even persecuted followers of the way, which I way like better than the word Christian. 
Why? Because the message is there is no other way but Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and life. So they were called followers of the way. He said, I hounded some to death. I arrested both men and women and throwing them in prison. For the high priest and the whole council of others can testify to this so far. Now, now look, I'm reading this, and I know you're just listening, but this is what that looked like. Even the high priest and, and, and the council can testify. They were there. This is Jerusalem. They're in the crowd. The same, some of the same leaders that did this to Jesus. He's going, you could ask them. They wrote letters of reference for me when I was one of them. The whole council of elders can testify that this is so. For I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the followers of the way, the Christians, from there to Jerusalem in change to be punished. And I was always on the road approaching Damascus. It was about noon, and a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, who are you, Master? It's not God, Lord, here. It's Master. Who are you, Master? I asked, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, the one you're persecuting. The people with me saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice speaking to me. I asked, well, what should I do, Lord? Now he's calling him God. Different, different reference. And the Lord told me, get up, go to Damascus, and there you will be told everything that you are to do. I was blinded by intense light, and I had to be led there by hand to Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there, and he was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law, and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. He came by and stood beside me. He said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And at that very moment, I could see him. Then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone that you have what you've seen is heard and what are you waiting for get up be baptized have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the lord please notice that he was not saved by getting up or being baptized but by calling on the name of the lord you are not saved by being baptized or joining a church or getting up you are saved by calling on the name of the lord very important side note after I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple and I fell into a trance and I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, hurry, leave Jerusalem for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. But Lord, I argued, they certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you and I was in complete agreement with your witness when Stephen uh, was killed. I stood by, I kept the coats they took off when they stoned him. But the Lord said to me, go for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened until Paul said that word. What word? Yeah. You think racism is new? Prejudice? Then they all began to shout, Away with such a fellow! He isn't even fit to live, they yelled. They threw off their coats and they tossed handfuls of dust in the air. That's where we're going to stop. So, my thoughts on this. Just because you're saved doesn't mean the road's going to be straight and easy. We've joined a war that we weren't part of to serve a king that will win. And Maddie this morning, having been saved before, wanted you to know that she was joining to the best of her understanding that war. And she will learn what that war looks like. I'm sorry, Mom and Dad, but she really doesn't belong to you. Her real father's in heaven, although you're doing a great job. I keep telling them their pictures on Facebook is why Facebook was invented. The truth is, though, Zach isn't just my son. 
Hannah isn't just my daughter-in-law. Anna isn't my, just my daughter. They're his. You're not my church. You're his. And the truth is, some of us may live long enough for the Lord to return. and The rest of us will die of something, whether it's at the hand of someone evil. or. But none of us will be out of the step of God. So maybe instead of freaking out about what's going on around us, we should embrace what God is doing through us. Maybe the bad that you're facing right now and the difficulty and the discouragement isn't as bad as you think. It's actually right on point for the moment. And tomorrow may be better from a human point of view or it may be worse, but it's all God's. And it is going to be so worth it when we get home. I don't think anything Paul says here or does is because he's an awesome guy. I think he is so surrendered to the Holy Spirit's control that he's willing. And that's what we have to learn from Acts, you guys. We're almost done. I think we're four weeks out. This is not about how to five steps to being a better Christian. This is looking at what it looks like to surrender your life, even your ease and your dreams to God knowing that he may, in fact, not let you accomplish any of that. Some of you are single. Heck, my daughter's single. She's a catch. She is. But not according to God's will at the moment. Breaks my heart. But in time. Unless not. I, I don't know what you're experiencing right now, but I knew, know that if you lean on God, he will give you hope and courage to face it even if they wrap you in chains and try to figure out who you are. Because God is our daddy. And he's good, but he sacrificed his son for us. And he's probably willing to sacrifice us for others in this life. But he will never sacrifice us in the end. Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. Philippians 1, 28-30, last verse. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. And I want to add social enemies, people who think you're a hater. When somebody calls you a hater, you look inside, you look in the mirror, and you say, am I? If you are, then repent. But if you just offer love and hope and encouragement through a relationship with Jesus Christ, then don't be intimidated by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the great honor, the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle, Paul writes, in the past. And at the time he wrote this, he was in Rome after when we're reading, and he said, I'm still in the midst of it. Nothing's changed but technology. So go walk with God. Have joy and hope in what he's doing. And if, in fact, we're on the precipice of his return, then we have been tasked with being the last people in the history of humanity to bring the gospel to people before his return. So everybody we know should know about Jesus. Everybody. Everybody we come in contact with should hear about the hope of God. Everybody. And your hope should be found firmly in Jesus Christ.
Now you're challenged, my brother, as you raise this beautiful, surrendered young lady. Don't overprotect her. You send her to the real protector, who is Jesus Christ. And I got to tell you, as a man who's got two adult kids, now three with my, my daughter-in-law, it's really hard raising a, a third grader, and she's, she should be an eighth. She's very mature. The problem is it gets even scarier sometimes when they're adults. So here's my challenge to you. Give her to Jesus every moment of every day as a couple. Give her to Jesus, you guys. Give your kids to Jesus. Give your grandkids to Jesus. Pray over them. Pray for them. Pray with them, even if they don't believe. Pray. Ask the God of heaven who sent his son to die on the cross for our sins to redeem your family. He's listening. Lord Jesus, may we trust you more than we trust our flesh. May we be like Paul that didn't want to die. He was affected by the, by the pleading of his others. You're breaking my heart, he said, but stop. For I'm ready to not only be in chains, but even to die in Jerusalem. May the will of the Lord be done. May your will be done not only in our lives, but in our family and in this, in this country. And may we trust you more than we trust our feelings and our flesh. In Jesus' name we pray. Be with our missionaries right now in Amazon. They're on the boat. They're heading down the river. Keep them safe. Keep the river flowing. And Lord Jesus, make the message effective. But your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful, hot week.